Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And also joining me tonight, I, I can't talk about the Detroit Pistons with anybody else other than you know him, Bryce Simon, Motor City Hoops. I also am joined by his co-host over at the Pistons Pulse podcast. You would know him as Detroit Pistons beat writer for the free press, Omari Sankofa. First time on the Draft Deeper podcast. I get both of these guys tonight to talk Pistons hoops. Omari, I'll start with you. What's going on, man? It's going good, man. It's uh, peak offseason right now, so I feel like this is the... (laughs) Uh, best time of the year that only takes some time off. I've been semi off for like the last two weeks, but uh, also just all of the speculative uh, season talk and whatnot that I know fans are craving right now. So, should be a fun episode. There's no better time to kind of sit back, react to what we saw in Summer League, talk about some of the highlights from the draft, because I'm not doing any podcasts yet about the 2023 NBA draft. So, a little, little too early for some 23 draft pods. So, I'm I'm relaxed and I'm taking some time away and I've been reviewing some of what I feel are some of the best fits from where we were at as far as the 2022 NBA draft. Bryce, I know you're excited for what the Pistons did in the draft. I know you are incredibly pumped to talk with me tonight and give some of your thoughts. What's going on with you? How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I like the Pistons draft. The offseason, maybe Nathan was a little different in general than what we thought with the Pistons. I know there was you know, some thoughts, maybe they'd go big name hunting and, and none of that happened. But I think there's a lot of upside with the roster right now. It's young. It's exciting. It's going to be fun. I don't know if it'll turn into a lot of wins, but it's going to be fun to watch. I would agree 100%. I think the Pistons are one of these top young teams that are primed to have certainly maybe not a ton of wins, but they're going to have a lot of fun during the regular season. They're going to be an enjoyable team to watch. We have Kate Cunningham going into year two. We have another year of Sadiq Bay showing improvements to his game. We get all the fun youngsters that they just drafted. We still need to see what we're going to get from Killian Hayes, the Marvin Bagley reclamation project, Bryce, you and I talked about the last time. We're on this podcast. There, there are a number of storylines that you guys at least get to talk about throughout the season, right? That that would interest somebody like me, someone who, de- who watches these young guys come in and develop. So let's start out with the fifth overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. There's no other place we can start. Jay Nivey. We didn't know it was going to be Jay Nivey to the Detroit Pistons. There was talk of the, the Kings could have went a number of different directions. I thought if you would have asked people – like myself, for example, who evaluate these prospects all year long and, and going off of our big boards and what we would project on a mock draft, I would have told the, the, the Kings, just, just take Jane Ivey, take the best player available, worry about fit, figure everything else out later. They went Keegan Murray. I didn't dislike that they went with Keegan Murray. I, I, was, I was a big Keegan Murray fan. I think all of us at No Ceilings, I'll, I'll shout out Tyler Rucker, who's probably the biggest Keegan Murray fan out of all of us, but I felt like the pick was justified because they did go for fit, but I think you can also make an upside argument. And now I think that that argument is a lot clearer after what we saw in summer league. Keegan Murray was one of the best players out in Vegas, but they went that direction, which meant Jay Nivey fell to the fifth pick to the Detroit Pistons. And, and Bryce, I'll start with you. I know that you, you, you were, I think you were big on Ivy before the draft and you were really happy with how you evaluated him and you and I even had some texts back and forth. So now that you got to watch that play out, what was your reaction on draft night when the Pistons were actually able to bring in Ivy? 
First, I just want to say Omari was a huge fan of Keegan Murray as well. If, if we have any listeners of the Pistons Pulse listening to this episode, they know they've heard me and Omari go back and forth and round and round about Keegan Murray. So I, I don't know that he had Jaden Ivey higher than Keegan Murray. Omari, probably not still, but you were a big fan of Keegan. I was a big fan of Keegan because he's just a guy that could play. And I think a lot of drafts, you look back and guys like Keegan end up, uh, I think, going a bit higher uh, just because you look at players like Desmond Bain. Uh, everybody talks about the age. And then it's like, oh, like this guy can handle the ball a little bit and he can shoot and he does everything you want in a modern guard. And Keegan does all the stuff you want in a modern forward. And uh, like I get to arguments for upside, but I just think Keegan being a late bloomer, uh, as well as he shot, being good inside, it was just tough for me to see how he would how he would fail. So whether it's upside or floor or whatever, I just thought Keegan deserved to be a top five pick. Yeah, but what would Jay Nivey, we, we obviously talked a lot about him as well. I was high on him. Uh, Nathan, you and probably know this. I was high on Benedict Matherin, but I still said that I would take Jay Nivey ahead of Benedict Matherin, even though I thought Benedict was a little bit more of a smoother fit next to Cade Cunningham. That's probably the biggest thing that's been talked about was how do Cade and Jaden Ivey play together? And I've tried to talk to any Pistons fans that, that have asked me and, and tell them that Jaden doesn't always have to have the ball in his hands. He has played yep. off ball at Purdue. He hasn't necessarily been the point guard. I know a lot is in pick and roll and isolation. I get it. I know in transition, he gets the ball, but you watch a Purdue game, you see him running off screens and staggers and all of those things. And we saw it the first play of summer league, Nathan, they set a pin down, he caught, he curled in the lane and threw the lob to the big man that we'll talk about later. Yeah, we, we will definitely talk about Mr. Jalen Duran a, a little bit later on. What about you, Omari? What were what were your initial thoughts when Jay Nivey actually went and was the pick at number five to the Pistons? It sounds like you might have been a, just, just a tad disappointed. You, you might have wanted them to go a different direction if the other guy was there. But what were your initial reactions? Yeah, I mean, I really didn't have any preference. You know, I just covered the team. I don't really have any. I wouldn't say I was rooting for an outcome. Uh, I think I probably got question marks uh, personally for Ivy as far as how that game overall translates. I think the athleticism is unquestioned, but uh, shooting didn't shoot well as a freshman, shot well first half of the sophomore year, and then it kind of fell off. Uh, playmaking, solid for a uh, lead guard, not great. Uh, but honestly, I, I didn't think he would be there uh, when the Pistons were selecting. Uh, there was some noise about OKC being really high on them, mm-hmm. being able to play higher than, than the top four. Um, and then just from a, a draft the best player, not the best fit standpoint, uh, for me, it was tough to see uh, Sacramento passing on him, even though I think there were obvious fit concerns with Phil and Darren Fox, who uh, are both down here players, uh, both need to ball in their hands. And uh, just from a fit standpoint, that probably doesn't put Ivy uh, in the best position to succeed. Uh, so when it happened, I think for me, it was a genuine question mark of, okay, do the Pistons go ahead and take Ivy, who is the most valuable player here? Uh, just from talking to people, you know that they were pretty high on Keegan. Uh, they were also high on Matt Duran, who, of course, ended up going a uh, pick later to the Pacers. So it was very much a uh, which direction did the Pistons go. Uh, but, of course, I've had big fans in the front office uh, when they drafted him um, and had his press conference later on that, that next week. Uh, they gave him jerseys of his, of his dad, who uh, played for Detroit Country Day, here mm-hmm. as a football player and then his mom and was actually born here because his dad played for the lions uh Jaden's grandfather that is and then his mom played for the detroit shocks so uh, overall it ended up being a really good situation i think for for everyone uh, but in this draft that was just so different from last year where i think kate was obvious pick uh, i just don't know if ivy 
was the obvious pick for everybody who was making that decision, uh, just because there were some question marks about how he fit with Cade. But just drafted for upside, we go to Pistons, haven't won a playoff game since 2008. Uh, I think that's probably the most logical thing to do. You, you actually just touched on, before I kick it back to Bryce to, to talk more about the, the fit, particularly in the backcourt, Amar, you actually touched on something interesting and in that he might not have been the obvious pick through the process for the Pistons, but now that the pick was made, I mean, you, you've heard Ivy in all the interviews, how emotional he was on draft night, how he's really embraced wanting to play for Detroit, right? Play for the city of Detroit and really represent the Pistons in a strong and meaningful way. You saw the same thing with Cade Cunningham last year when he was drafted. He wanted to be there. He truly wants to be in Detroit. And you're getting the same vibe from, from Jane. So now, Omari, what, what's, what's been the city's reaction to an extent to now have not only one guy who they made with a top pick, who they know really wants to embrace the city, but now you've done it again, a second time in the top five. It seems like the Pistons are really building something special from a culture perspective, not even just everything going on on the floor. No doubt. I think fans recognize that, uh, you know, I mean, for K to on draft night, you're the number one pick, um, almost consistent best prospect in the draft. And you put on buffs on draft night. Like, I think that not that he needed to be sold to the, the <laughs> franchise, but that kind of took it to an entirely different level. And I know Bryce will agree, but I think Jaden Ivey was by far uh, the player that most Pistons fans wanted at number five, not just from a talent standpoint, but I think those Detroit ties tied into that as well. So, yeah, back-to-back drafts, number one pick puts on buffs, and then uh, the fifth overall pick cries because he's so happy. That's, uh, I mean, I, like, I would say that's probably the best-case scenario just from a uh, fans are going to root for you standpoint. Um, like, and that doesn't happen too often, too, to have a player mm-hmm. who has ties to the city. Um, Detroit has produced a lot of basketball talent, but how many of those players have played for the Pistons, especially that high, that's pretty unique. So uh, best case scenario for sure. Like, I don't think you could ever predict that uh, two top five picks in back-to-back years will do so much to indeed ourselves to the fan base. I, I think it's absolutely awesome to watch, especially from where I'm sitting that I'm I'm not following the NBA game as heavily as obviously I am everything on the, the scouting side, but just watching from a player developmental perspective, it's really fun to see all these young players come together and truly enjoy playing with one another. Just those, those quote unquote immaculate vibes as everybody on social media likes to say nowadays, a little buzz phrase, but just the vibes that can come from all of those guys loving, truly genuinely wanting to be in the building and meshing with one another. I think that's really fun to see. And a lot of young teams in the NBA feel like that's the direction that they're going. The Pistons obviously being one of those Bryce, I know you have plenty of words to say about Jay Nivey's fit with the Detroit Pistons. I know you guys have been talking about it. I know you've, you've taught, you've gone in length on different platforms, but you're on the draft deeper podcast. So you got to give my audience your two cents on how you think Jay Nivey will not only fit with the team, but really what do you think his developments going to look like? Because it's, it's one thing if, if Cade and Jane are the starting backcourt and maybe they're also closing games in the backcourt, but I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for them to sort of play apart from one another. And I think that's really where Jay Nivey's on ball reps. In my opinion, I, I would think that's where more of them come from is when Cade's off the floor, Jaden can exclusively have the ball in his hands. They can have him play the primary point, give him more of those developmental reps with some of the second unit guys, maybe staggering against some of the starters. How do you really see a lot of this playing out on the court? 
Yeah, first I want to say everything Amari talked about with the fan base is true and it's huge, Nathan, because Detroit really has this Detroit versus everybody mentality and, and they feel like they're not respected a lot, the fan base. And like, you know, you always have other fan bases saying, hey, you know, nobody wants to come play for you. Nobody wants to get, you know, drafted by Detroit. So to have guys that have done what Cade and Ivy have done the last couple of years is really exciting. Getting to on the floor one, just some developmental, developmental things with Jaden Ivey, Nathan, you know these things, and maybe your listeners do as well. The, the three-point shooting has to continue to develop and yep. get better. But I think the biggest thing for him, I actually think he's a fine passer. A lot of people question his passing. I think he gets into the lane and makes fine reads, not like high-level reads, but he's so explosive with his first step. I think he's got to finish better in the mid-range. If I had one improvement that I could give Jaden Ivey, it would actually either be the mid-range pull-up or the little floater, something in that you know, six to 12, six to 15 range foot range where I think he really needs to develop. And then on the defensive end also, what's interesting about what you're talking about, Nathan is the draft before Cade Cunningham, the Detroit Pistons with the number seven (laughs) selection took Killian Hayes. So if you want to stagger Cade, that sounds perfect, right? Let's stagger those minutes with Cade. Let's give Jay Nivey the ball. Well, now when does Killian Hayes get the ball in his hands? And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later when we do our rankings. I knew someone was going to talk about it. I was trying to keep this podcast really positive for everybody listening out there, but we got got to talk about it at some point. Hey, I'll tell you this. I don't know that you'll get two... Two podcasters that will shoot you straight more than Omari and I. Like we're, we're positive. We 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 enjoy covering and talking about the team. Me more from a fan perspective. Obviously, it's Omari's job. But we're going to criticize if we think Jaden Ivey doesn't do something well. What I texted you the other day, Nathan. What did I tell you about Cade Cunningham's defense after listening to one of your episodes? You know, I was like, man, I think you guys are giving Cade too much credit for his defense right now. So we're we're going to tell it to you straight. And Killian Hayes, it's a huge year for that young man. It is. And, and, and Omari, I, I guess we might as well, before we get into to the big man and, and some of your thoughts about the trade that happened to, to get Jalen Duran to Detroit, we might as well rip the Band-Aid off of Killian Hayes, right? We might, <laughs> we might as well just rip it off. So just from, from some of what you're hearing this offseason, kind of the, the work that Killian Hayes is putting in coming into his third year now, in, in the NBA, what, what, what are some of the things that you're hearing and what are, what are some of your hopes and expectations for, for Killian to really have a quote unquote bounce back year to really get himself back on that upward trajectory in, in the public's eyes at the very least. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's breaking news to say that uh, everybody wants to see more from him uh, when you are seventh overall pick that you come in with certain expectations and it's not entirely his fault that he got hurt his rookie year and he came in during COVID and, uh, there's some things that are outside of his control. Um, at the same time, I think it's also just a fact that it's really hard for point guards who don't score the ball to stick in the NBA. Uh, you yep. have to be not only a top-tier defender, but really embrace the intangibles, whether it's from a leadership standpoint, like Marcus Smart, or uh, you just have to bring more to the table than what Killian's done. And I think you see the flashes as far as him being a passer, and especially as a defender, um, a guy who was probably – Detroit's best overall perimeter defender last season. So there's some NBA talent there, but the bottom line is that he doesn't finish at the rim very well. Uh, He doesn't shoot very well and he's a reluctant shooter and you have to bring something uh, from a scoring standpoint to stick and he hasn't done that yet. Um, And that's tough. You know, I think it's also tough that the franchise really just through pure luck ended up with Cade Cunningham. But not pure luck, that's the second best odds in 2021. (laughs) So 
you know, I want to say pure luck, but the bottom line is that you had Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey back-to-back years, and they're both on-ball guys. And uh, about Killian, who hasn't really established himself, is also, um, you know, competing with two other young guys who are probably higher upside long-term for minutes. So that puts extra pressure on him to deliver. Um, I think the reality for Killian is that probably what he has to improve on to get to the point to where he has a rotation player very solidly probably isn't a lot, but he has to get better at shooting. Mm-hmm. He can't be a sub-30% shooter. Ideally, you're probably at least, at the very least, 34% uh, to be able to thrive next to K or next to Ivy, uh, especially next to Ivy. Like, I'm curious to see how he and Killian fit next to each other next season, given that, uh, like, who whose hands do you want the ball in, right? Uh, Killian's a better <laughs> defender. He's a better passer. Uh, now that those guys shoot super well, like, I don't know if Ivy's going to shoot 35%, 28 Like, honestly, don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I talked about the shooting earlier. Uh, there's a lot to figure out, but I think long-term, uh, K's Cade, right? And Ivy's probably the guy who gets a bit of the doubt now, given that he's a rookie. So Kenny's got to show more. Bottom line, he's got to show more. He'll be extension eligible in a year. And he's got to be in a place where the team could say, okay, we feel good about extending him at whatever price they feel he's worth. I agree with you, Amari. It's actually, it's really interesting to think about fits between the three of those guys, right? So I agree with you 100%. Cade's Cade, right? He's the franchise guy who's going to be there. The Ivy and Killian Hayes debate is intriguing. And I think from surface level, we'd be very quick to say it's Ivy. He was just the fifth overall pick. We want to see what he can do offensively. I think he can just do things that Killian can't do. I do buy the spot up shooting. I buy the off ball cutting. He's just so much of a more dynamic player, especially in the open court when the Pistons are probably going to want to play into more of an up and down game. I think they were 14th in pace last year. I think that number sounds right when I was looking some over some stats earlier, but they're going to want to get a little bit more up and down, especially with Ivy in the fold. Killian doesn't bring those same things to the table offensively, but as Amari was just talking about Bryce, the defense I think is, is potentially light years ahead of where Jay Ivey is going to be coming into his rookie season. So it's, they both bring different things to, to the table. What, what are your thoughts on, on Killian Hayes and Jay Ivey and, and kind of how you think the three guards can, quote-unquote coexist in the backcourt like whenever I try okay I try to be practical like Troy Weaver couldn't have selected seven rotation guys in the last three drafts right you know he could you know that doesn't seem realistic to me but I, I get excited I think that that three guard rotation could work if the shooting comes around none of those guys even Cade Cunningham only shot 31% from three last season. So none of those guys are just knocked down off ball players and off ball shooters. So if the shooting came around for one or two or up a little bit for all three, I do think that there's a little rotation where you can make it work. And I actually think you can play all three together because I think eventually Cade Cunningham can scale down and guard threes if he needed to. What Killian has to do is get more confident, man. Like offensively, he just... It comes and goes, and it has been tough for him. He comes in as the number seven pick. He's starting. He has Blake Griffin on his team. He has Derrick Rose on his team. He's deferring to them. Then he gets injured. Then he comes back for his sophomore season, and Cade Cunningham is now undoubtedly the face of the franchise. Plus, there was Jeremy Grant in the fold at the time. So I think he's been a little lost, Nathan, with what his role is. But now I think he knows he's had a whole offseason knowing what his role is and what he needs to do well to provide value to this team. And he definitely brings it on the defensive end. I think, as Amari said, I don't think it's a question who Mm -hmm. the best perimeter defender on this Pistons team is. It's Killian Hayes. 
Omari's answer was was perfect in a number of ways. And if anybody, while they're listening to this podcast, needs to go to rewind just a few seconds and, and re-listen to everything that he said, he he dropped all the nuggets in there. And the the most important thing about Killian, Bryce, you just touched on it, and, and Omari touched on his ball, was the confidence, particularly finishing around the basket. And I think that plays more into the perimeter game because he settles so often for these really poor pull-up jump shots. So Bryce, how do you think he can improve his finish around the basket to maybe get more of that confidence to where he's settling less for those perimeter looks? Is it just the spacing needs to be better overall from a team perspective? Is it how he attacks? Is it the angles he takes? Is it anything finishing between either hand? Like what, what are the biggest things that, that you're looking for for him to improve on in that area? Well, and I will say, I don't know if we'll get to it in totality, but shooting is an issue with this team. Amari yep. and I think we'll both excuse me, say that, that it, it's a major issue with this team, depending on development from some players like Isaiah Stewart, Achillean Hayes, those type of guys, how many minutes, of, excuse me, I'm so sorry, some other guys get. Don't Killian, don't tease me. They were teasing me hardcore during summer league with with uh, with Isaiah Stewart playing that Kevin Love type role. Don't oh, don't tease me like that, Detroit. I know they were just testing it out. Oh, but. If, if we talk about Isaiah Stewart, that's all we're going to talk. It's real, Nathan. It is real. Amari, tell him. It's real. Yeah, it's real. And uh not to spoil later segments, but we are going to dish out some Isaiah Stewart love. Uh, yes, I love it. So get ready, get ready. I love it. Um, but I, I, I think he has it in him, Nathan. I can go break down film and find you clips where he, he creates an isolation. He doesn't even have to have a ball screen. Now, yes, he's very left-hand dominant. He doesn't go to his right as well as his left, but it just seems like lefties find a way. You know, even though you know, like lefties just find a way. He... I think he drives to pass Nathan instead of drives to score. I truly believe that in his mind, he is driving to pass the ball. And then when the pass isn't there, he either turns it over or he's like, Oh my gosh, now I have to shoot. And then he's not Mm -hmm. prepared to shoot it. And he misses. I truly believe that. I think it's a change in mentality for Killian Hayes, not necessarily a huge change in skill level. So we got to, we got to flip to the big men and Isaiah Stewart will be part of this in, in just a little bit, but Omari, since since you, this is your job, you're the reporter here, I have to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how effing crazy was that Jalen Duran trade to follow on draft night? Because like us at No Ceilings, we're trying to do a live draft show, and there's all these different transactions going on. I'm like, screw it. I can't even keep up anymore. Like, I'm just going to let the dust settle, and eventually, like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when enough of the dust settles. But, like, when, when, when you're doing a reporting job like that, and there are just calls being made left and right, and – how crazy is it to actually try and report on something live like that? Like what it's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, you're just on your phone nonstop on draft night <laughs> trying to stay on top of everything. And it was like, if I'm just recounting the night in my head, it's like, okay, Ivy Foster five. So you're, you know, texting people like, you know, it's yep. Ivy to pick this and that. And then, you know, you're hearing word that they may not be done. Uh, well, for one, it was like, well, are they going to trade Ivy? Cause it, Seemed like the Knicks wanted him. Yeah, yep. it seemed like there's a slim possibility after that uh, it could happen, um, you know, just because the phones are ringing and uh, you kind of have to listen to see what's out there. Um, and then after a certain point in the night, uh, the Pistons realized that, well, one, I will say that Jalen Duran was very high on their draft board, and I do think that there was some consideration for him with the fifth pick. Okay. Um, and then two... I would say there's a point in the night where the Pistons realized they could acquire Duran 
without giving Ivy up. And I don't know if they were aware that when they traded um, Jeremy Grant for, you know, cap and a distant first and whatnot, that that was going to be the end result. But when it happened on draft night, they were obviously very thrilled because I think everybody in that draft room left incredibly happy uh, just because Trey Weaver had wanted a Jalen Duran type player basically since he was hired as GM, uh, just him being extremely athletic, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the upside he has on defense, the upside he has on offense. Uh, Trey Weaver had wanted a player like that for a while, and he finally got him. So from a crazy standpoint, I'd probably say just like an 8.5 because Trey Weaver has, <laughs> um, like everybody, know, like he fans call him Trader Trey. Like he's going to make trades. Everybody expects that. He made like a dozen trades. It seems like after when he took over in 2020. And of course, the Pistons entered that 2020 draft uh, with one first round pick, enough of three. So there's there was already uh, a precedent for that. But for Ivy and Duran, I think specifically being two of the best athletes in the draft and not the two best. And uh, just raises the blocks of potential of this team so much. Yeah, I think I think 8.5 feels right. Like, I don't know if anybody expected they would leave the two lottery picks, but they put it off and gave basically nothing up to do it. And, and, and that was an important nugget to take away as well, is when we talk about raising the athletic floor of this team, right? Like, Cade Cunningham is Cade Cunningham for a reason, but he's not a super athlete, Bryce. Cade, Cade, I... Cade called himself slow the last yeah. time. <laughs> at, at Summer League, I got a chance yeah. to just tag along with Omari as a credential media member. We got to go watch practice, and we're inter- – I'm not inter- – I was too scared to ask questions, but Omari, <laughs> Omari's asking questions. And uh, and as the other beat reporters are, and Cade essentially goes, yeah, I mean, Jaden Ivey's really fast. I'm not fast. I'm slow. So Cade, so Cade knows. He understands it. But like be, being able to build that dynamic around Cade, and this is listen, I, I, I've I've done I've done the Thunder podcast now, I've done the Rockets podcast now. Like the the common theme of what I thought was fascinating about this draft in particular is you see these general managers committing to the young core that's already in place. They all want to see what they have from these guys, right? Like we're going into this year. It's, it's a very clean bill evaluation year. Like we're going to see what we have with all these guys. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to try to put complimentary talent around them to really bring out the best of them and see where are we going to be at after the season, right? Like, like once this season's over, then we can talk about who's best long-term fit wise, who might we need to move off of, what kind of talent do we need to bring in to make some of these other guys better. I like that these executives are giving these young cores a chance to thrive like that. I really feel like with Ivy and Durin, that's exactly what 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 they're doing in in Detroit, and I absolutely love it. So, Bryce, talk about your thoughts on Jalen Duran. How excited were you when that trade was pulled off, and what do you think he's going to bring to the table in Detroit? Well, I was the same way as you, Nathan. I was like, "What is going on? I can't figure out whose <laughs> picks are going where." I, I still don't know that I know who has the Pistons pick that you know the one the Bucks one they got from the Blazers, and the one they used to owe Oklahoma City, and all this stuff. It's it's craziness, but. I was excited. Um, and then throughout the weeks that followed to hear Amari dropped it a little bit ago to hear that Troy Weaver seriously liked Duran at number five. Can you imagine what Troy Weaver felt when he got Jalen Duran at number 13? I bet yeah. Troy Weaver in his front office felt like they struck gold with that pick. I, I'm super high on Jalen Duran. I said this the other day, Nathan, and Amari and I may differ on this a little bit. I think Omari sees more immediate ability from Jalen Duran than I do. I think I'm lower on Jalen Duran uh, rookie year impact than most, but I'm higher on his long-term ceiling than most. 
I think Jalen Duran is big time or has the chance to be big time as more than just a lob threat rim runner guy. I think he has an offensive skill set that if it develops, he can short roll pass, he can DHO, he can do a lot of really nice things. And I'm excited to see that develop. So that's exactly what he's going to be. He's going to be a role man. He's going to be a lob threat, a play finisher. But I guess my counter to that, Bryce, which is where I might agree with Omari and that he could have more immediate impact than we might foresee is if Cade is the truly special passer that everybody's been touting him as for years coming in. And, and you and I did talk on our last podcast that we did together about Cade's passing and how there, there, there are some things he needs to work on. There's talent, but there are some things he needs to work on. If he is that guy, if Jay Nivey is as good of a passer as you think he is, if Killian Hayes can continue to be a good passer in the NBA, those opportunities are going to be there for Duran uh, on, on the lobs on some of those easy finishes. So offensively, he could actually have a significant impact. Now, defensively, we think he's going to be good in his career defensively, but with all rookies, especially big men, it's just going to take a little bit of time. So I, I think in that regard, I, I might might see him coming along a little bit slower, but in terms of just getting on the floor and contributing easy points and rebounds, I do think he's going to be able to do that in his rookie year. So, so my, the reason I say not as much of an impact one, I do think he's raw, even in that lob threat. Cause at Memphis, you know, this Nathan, he wasn't working with a whole lot in terms of pick and roll because of the guards that they had. The other thing is I think Marvin Bagley, the third is going to get the first chance with this Detroit Pistons team. I actually think Marvin Bagley, the third starts opening night for the Detroit Pistons. And then you also have Nerlens Noel. Are they going to play him? So the, the Pistons are in a unique situation where, yes, they have all these young guys you want to give opportunities, but they have a three or four veterans as well that you're like, I don't know that Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver are just going to stick those guys on the bench and never play them. Mm -hmm. And Nerlens Noel, Alex, Alex Burke needs to play anyway because of the shooting. Corey Joseph, Kelly Olynyk. I know Kelly Olynyk's not the same type of big, but I'm not sure the minutes at the big spot at the four or the five are necessarily going to be there immediately to start the season. I agree with that hundred percent. Um, and, and speaking of bigs, Amari, I'll, I'll go to you first. You guys are both going to get to stand up here and then shout to the Raptors for your boy, Isaiah Stewart. Cause I, I I'm an Isaiah Stewart fan too. And, and I was before the draft and seeing him during his first years in the league. Like I, I believe in him as a legitimate starting big man. But what was interesting in summer league is you, you, you talked about how, Troy Weaver was very high on Duran coming into the draft. They, we saw him start at center, and then we saw Isaiah Stewart start next to him in this, in this Kevin Love, big-bodied four, I'm going to space the floor for everybody else style role. And I freaking loved it because I, I bought into the jump shot before the draft with Isaiah Stewart. Now we saw him shoot the lights out of the ball in summer league. Obviously, it's summer league. It's a small sample, blah, blah, blah. But I think he is ready for a potential stretch big role like that. There are some people who would disagree with me, but it sounds like you two want to bring some positivity to the situation. What's kind of the feeling around the organization with where Isaiah Stewart's future is, Amari? Yeah, uh, so when Isaiah Stewart was drafted, uh, there was two things that Troy kind of said early on that uh, I think have come to fruition uh, three years later or two years later, however long it's been. Uh, three years, it's going into year three. Okay. Omari uh, never knows what <laughs> Nathan, you don't know what it's like working with Omari. He never knows what day it is. He never knows what month it is. He never knows what year it is. Like he, he never knows. COVID really screwed up my <laughs> of the time. Uh, 
but he's going into year three. Uh, so one was that he had good feet. Uh, he said he moved his feet probably yep. a lot better than he showed at Washington. And what they played in the zone. So obviously that's, you know, a very different defensive road and uh, how big is going to play in the NBA where you're playing zone a lot more sporadically and probably to less success. Uh, two, uh, that he shot the ball a lot better behind the scenes and he was able to show in college and that they believe in this touch, they believe in his form, it's always upside there. Uh, so um, I think Isaiah Stewart's a unique big man in the sense that uh, he's played most of his minutes at center uh, offensively, uh, there hasn't really been a great fit for him because he's not a lot dirty, doesn't jump a lot. He also hasn't really stretched the floor. So in a lot of ways, he's been a negative offensively. But on defense, uh, you could argue that he was Detroit's best overall defender last year. And I would actually not say you could argue it. I think it was actually pretty clear that he was Detroit's 100%. best overall defender. Uh, because not only is he a good rim protector, despite his lack of height, he's just very fun. He's strong. He you know, he uses yep. his left well. He's got a great Long wingspan. wingspan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, uh, he could switch on the smaller players. Uh, by the end of the season, we saw him switching on the Harden, on the Luka, on the guards. And uh, you could tell it was almost teams had not yet picked up on that because they would often try to isolate him on the perimeter. And then uh, you would notice that guards <laughs> would kind of have like, a, oh, crap, like he can stay in front of me moment. And sometimes like well, good said, luck I'm trying in- to get around them. That man's yeah. a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, defensively, you know, there's not a lot of matchups he can't handle when that six state being able to move his feet as well and anticipate rotations. He uh, really, I think we'll see eventually that he's basically the perfect playoff big man because you're going to struggle to play him off of the floor. Uh, so that's why we saw him taking threes at summer league and they let him take threes at the end of last season and he hit like 11 for 17 in like the last eight games or something. Uh, kind of the same toward the end of his rookie season, though the percentage wasn't as high because uh, the I think the front office and coaching staff early on decided that if he's not going to be a lob threat, he needs to be able to stretch the floor because he's six eight, and you probably want your six eight players to be able to shoot the ball anyway, or even if he's seven feet tall, just better to be able to shoot. And that's been a part of his player development plan. So uh, he's a good player defensively; he's great. Um, you know, I think his value has been seen there. But offensively, uh, I think the long term plan on some level has always been eventually we want him to play next to a more traditional center, and if he's not going to be able to. Uh, post up consistently or be that lob guy he's got to be able to shoot and I do believe in the jump shot I think mechanically it's improved a lot uh, just more so at this point just get the volume up till he gets comfortable with it because he is very instinctual and even when he had wide open threes after last season we saw him kind of second guess himself and not take those shots so it's just getting over that hump uh, that's why you play I guess the the Kevin Love role in summer league because they told him to go out there and shoot like don't like you're a third year guy the reason why you're here is to play power forward, and that was the goal going in. So I think next season we'll see it a lot more. Bryce, you buying the dip with the jumper? Yeah, I think so. I'm not, like, sold on it, but I have a hard time doubting Isaiah Stewart and his work ethic and who he is by all reports. Like, he's just tireless worker. So we've seen enough to be like, okay, it's there. The foundation is there. I think what Amari brought up was a good point. It's hard to know what a guy's mentality is going to be, though, right, Nathan? Their confidence. Mm -hmm. Is he going to be comfortable shooting four three-pointers a game? What if he misses one of – or, sorry, 12 out of 13 in a three-game stretch? Is he going to continue to shoot them in that next game? So those are the things we don't know right now about Isaiah Stewart and the jump shot, but mechanically it's gotten better. I think it would have been better last offseason, but he rolled his ankle playing with uh, the Team USA, not the – what, what was it? The, the kind of the practice team with team USA mm-hmm. and, you know, was injured throughout the off season. So that slowed down the progression, but he's had a full off season. So I, I buy the form and how it looks. Bryce is going to get the draft sicko question for me right now, because 
They took another player in the second round, probably the best draft and stash outcome, in my opinion, as well as the opinion of anybody else in those ceilings. We were all incredibly high on Gabriel Prochita. You guys were able to pick him. He's going to be a stash pick. Bryce, come on. You got to be excited about Mr. Prochita one day coming over to the States and playing for your Pistons. Okay, so I- I'm – I'm glad we brought up Rashida because you, you know, it was on the outline you sent me and, and we haven't talked about him to be honest uh, on the Pistons pulse or any other podcast or on Twitter, because, you know, he signed a three-year contract to go overseas. We yep. didn't get to see him at summer league. And so all it has been is, is some of the film we had going into the draft or after the draft, I did break down some film and, and I like it. I'm excited, Nathan, about the kid. He can shoot it. He's athletic. He's, he's one of those sneaky athletes. You know, all of a sudden it shows up. I just, when's the last time a draft and stash panned out? And so that's what makes me nervous. Now, I will say this, and I only know this because Omari told me, so I'm sorry, Omari, that I'm taking these, you know. This taking this <laughs> you, you take, what, you taking a scoop from him? Come on, man. Tell them what they wanted to do with the second round pick, Omari. Yeah, so they were, uh, they shopped the pick for it a little bit because I just don't know how high the appetite to add yet another young guy is. I mean, they've got, sure. you know, eight or nine guys, they're going to 25 and, uh, you know, some decisions to make coming up, some of those guys as far as extensions and whatnot. So I don't know if the appetite to add another guy for next year's team was super high, uh, especially since you just got the roster crunch now. Like, you know, at least one player is going to be cut during camp because they're a little bit over the uh, roster limit. So, uh, which that's not a knock on the player at, at, at all. No. I think they went the draft and stash route uh, more so because they could bring them over a little bit later. I think when the roster is older and more experienced rather than now, and there's already a lot of young mouths to feed. Uh, but with that said, they do think that he could play 100%. I mean, if the first round is an unpredictable crapshoot in the NBA draft, and I don't even know what to call. There's just, there's, there's too many politics, too much, too much, too many things that go into the second round of the NBA draft. So that, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but if you're going to use that capital and you're going to essentially gain the rights to an overseas player for would have been my pick uh, of the guy to definitely take a shot on. And, and who knows? I, I, I agree with the, the sense of nervousness, Bryce, and, and how often do those types of things actually work out to an extent. But if you're going to take a shot on one of these guys in the second round, I mean, the six, eight guy who, was sneakily like one of the better athletes in this yep. entire draft class, by the way, and yep. in the entire draft class who can shoot the lights out of the ball. He's incredibly confident, can pull up. That's the type of draft and stash pick that I would want to make if I was in a front office. So I, I also gave that one a big time thumbs up for the Detroit Pistons. Omari, I have to ask you, I have to ask you, Cade Cunningham, we're going into year two, right? He, he showed all the promise that he did during his rookie season coming into his second year is the expectation around the building. Like, okay, like we got the guy, he ended up figuring out a lot during his rookie year. Like we're going to see a massive leap. Like what, what's the feeling around Cade Cunningham as he goes into his second season? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's worried about him. Uh, you know, the main <laughs> thing about Cade, I mean, he came in with the, you know, the talent and, uh, the resume, obviously, you know, just being a, one of the top guys in his class since he was, you know, probably a sophomore or junior in high school. Uh, but beyond that, I think just the maturity he carries himself with, uh, just the way he's able to communicate and just everything about him. I, I, I just I just don't think anybody's at all concerned about what he could bring next season. Uh, I think the main thing with him was just his efficiency. Uh, the efficiency mm-hmm. wasn't quite where 
you would like the number one picks efficiency to be and Pistons had a mess of the season as far as you know you know players getting injured COVID uh, one thing or another and he also got up to a slow start because he missed all the camp with an ankle injury so there was a lot of noise for his efficiency but I think next season that's probably one of the main things you want to see is for that three-point percentage to get up a little bit higher uh, overall efficiency and um, also turned over his first kind of touched on it earlier but uh, the way I would describe it is it's kind of funny because he played uh, quarterback when he played football when he was younger, but he kind of stared down his receivers per <laughs> se. And, you know, some of the passes, just like, come on, like you, like, you know that he'll cut those out. Uh, yeah. He kind of tested it during summer league as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if there's, if you had to rank the warrior level of one of the players on the roster, he's probably last because I, I don't think anybody doubts that he's going to come in and do what he needs to do next season. Oh, I, I, I agree as well. I think what, what he brings to the table from a leadership standpoint, that was excellent for you to hit on Omari. He's one of the, one of the more mature young players we have in the entire NBA, just having a guy like that as the building block to your franchise, it's, it's so incredibly important to have somebody who understands how to communicate with his teammates, communicate with everybody else around him, continue to work hard, bring the work ethic, set that example for everybody else around him. It's awesome to have a player like that in the locker room. Bryce, I know you're excited for Cade heading into year two. Any, any other expectations? Anything else you want to see from him? No, I, I, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I texted you, I want to see his defense get better. I'm, I'm interested to see what he brings offensively. That, that's what I want to see as well, too, by the way. I want, I want to see the defense take a and, lead and, in year and two. You, and you calmed me down a little bit. You said, Bryce, for a rookie, he was very good defensively. I said, okay, that's fair. Like, I just, I've heard a lot of people like, oh, he's going to be on an all-defensive team someday, and he's above average already. And I'm like, I can show you a lot of clips where he's getting back door, <laughs> blown by. No, I can show – in fairness, there's clips of him staying in front of Luca and doing all these other things. So by no means am I saying he's a bad defender. And his awareness – I think this is why some of the turnovers that Amari were talking about was is so frustrating because it's like, Cade, you're the highest basketball IQ on the floor. How did you make that mistake offensively? But he, he's going to be a great player. His mature, the intangibles are incredible, Nathan. That's something I didn't know about him going into that draft. And ever since he got drafted, it's just story after story after story. He was the leader and the face of the franchise as a rookie. And no disrespect to Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, or anybody else. No other rookie was tasked with that in their rookie season. I don't care. Amari's laughing. Bryce, I don't care. No, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because the Pistons fans listening to this pod just enough to give you a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I don't care about rookie of the year. All I'm saying is nobody else was tasked with what he was in his rookie season as far as being a leader. And, and, and it's one of the most underrated aspects to drafting a young player, in my opinion, is getting someone who is an A++ communicator. I think if there's one thing the scouting community needs to talk about a little bit more with these guys coming sure. in, it's how they're composed on the court, how they handle talking with their teammates, the coaching staff. Are they able to take things away from, from those communications? Are they able to help their teammates in a way to where nobody's arguing on the court, everybody's on the same page? It's not just talking during the game. It's those things as well. And then obviously communicating with, the outside parties as well, communicating with the media, communicating with everybody else around them, because that that's such an underrated aspect. I, th I think it shows character. I think it shows maturity. It shows a willingness to step up and be a leader. Very underrated aspect through through the entire scouting process. I'll just I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. So we're gonna close out the podcast quickly on. I know I told Bryce, 
I told Amari. I gave Amari a heads up, so he, he would be prepared. The Pistons young core ranking. So I would define this as guys under the age of 25, and I would define ranking them based on not just straight, straight pound for pound who's the best player today, but really who's important to the franchise moving forward. Like who, who are the guys who are likeliest to be with the team moving past this year and who are likely to make more of a long-term impact. So I'll quickly go through my list. Then I'll go to Bryce and I'll have Omari as the reporter finish it out. So I got Cade Cunningham, number one, Jay Nivey, number two, no surprises there. I do have Sadiq Bay number three. I think just what this team needs from an offensive standpoint, he may not have the sexiest upside of some of these guys, but I think he's an incredibly important foundational piece just giving some of these other guys a consistent offensive threat to work with night in night out then i would have jalen duran isaiah stewart isaiah livers killian hayes marvin bagley amadou diallo and gabriel prachita on the back end and, and by the way diallo you if we're arguing just pound for pound better player today we can move him up a few spots i just i i don't know what the future is going to look like for him but those are my rankings bryce what's your list look like yeah, so mine is very similar. Our top five were the same five guys. I had Cade Ivy. I actually have Duran number three. Okay. Um, and then Stu and then Bay. And it's nothing against Bay. I kind of went a little bit more with who has to continue to develop a little bit. I think Bay is kind of who he is. I know other people still think he has a higher upside. That's fine. I'm cool with it. I hope he proves me wrong. I'm glad you had Isaiah Livers number six because I am super high on Isaiah Livers. And so him being right they outside need the shooting. Yes, and he's a connector offensively. He's a really good defender. I'm, he's going to play a lot of minutes, Nathan, for this team, in my opinion. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes. So I love that he was right outside the top five. I had Hayes seven, Marvin Bagley the third, eight, and Diallo nine. So just a few little tweaks, especially in the top five. But outside of that, you and I are, are pretty well in lockstep. Omari, you, you can answer this question from your personal perspective. You can answer it from like feelings around the org. You, you can organ answer this question however you want. But how, how would you kind of rank these guys in terms of what you think's going this season and then moving forward? Sure. So this is my own uh, personal list. And this, what's interesting is that our, all of our top twos are the same. And then our five through nine or five through tens are pretty similar as well. Uh, the difference is the three through five. Uh, so K number one, Ivy number two. I think it goes without saying. Those are the two probably highest upside guys mm-hmm. being your on bar creators. And K, of course, number one pick. So I need to explain that. Um, <laughs> I had my three through five was Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, and then Sadiq Bay. So me I and Bryce it. both had Sadiq Bay number five. Uh, our rankings of the big men are swapped a little bit. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that Jalen Duran would be a better regular season player than Isaiah Stewart, but Isaiah Stewart would be a better playoff player than Jalen Duran because we have to see how well Jalen Duran switches. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so there's a chance that Stewart is – there's a chance that Darren is Robert Williams. And if that's the case, then I think he's very clearly number three, if not number two on this list, depending on how yep. Ivy shakes out. Uh, but there's also a chance that, uh, you know, he's a great lap threat, great run protector, doesn't switch quite as well, and you can't play him off the floor when the playoffs come. And I just don't think Isaiah Stewart's going to have that issue, especially if he could also shoot. So, I mean, you could say 3A, 3B, like I'm not super glued <laughs> to Isaiah Stewart being better long term, but I just think there's a chance that Isaiah Stewart's better in the playoffs than during long term. So, uh, Isaiah Stewart, three, Darren, four. Uh, Sadiq Bay five, uh, just because I think Sadiq Bay's skill set is important, but yep. probably in the grand scheme, a little bit more replaceable. Uh, okay. You know, especially if he kind of tops out as just more of your uh, three and D type of guy. And uh, honestly, the 
three is probably going to be a little bit stronger than uh, what he brings on, on defense long term. Uh, he's a little bit of a tweeter defensively. Um, Isaiah Liver six for the reasons Bryce mentioned, just everything you want in a three and D wing. Uh, Killian seven, Bagley eight, Hamado Diallo nine. And uh, I feel like all of those are pretty self-explanatory based on what we talked about earlier. And then Prashida 10, and then none of us mentioned Saban Lee, unfortunately, but it's just just the <laughs> way that, yeah, just the way the roster is constructed now, it's just have to see a, a role for him long-term when it's improved significantly. If you're going to bring up Saban Lee, are we going to talk about, I know we don't have time, Nathan, but we're, we're not going to talk about Kevin Knox? <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about that. We're not talking about Kevin. I, I that, that was, I, I've been burned so bad by, by Kevin Knox. I, I, I was high on him during that draft process, along with some other people on the staff that, that I worked on. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm burned. I'm sorry. I, I, I got nothing left for, for Kevin Knox. I wish you nothing but the best for this upcoming season with the Pistons. Maybe, maybe, maybe he could put some things together. I, I have no idea at this point, but we, we will remain eternal optimists on the draft deeper podcast, right? That's how we will close this out. So guys, Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Draft Deeper. I can't thank you enough. This was everything I could have hoped it would be and more. You guys were awesome. Amari, I'll start with you since this was your first time on Draft Deeper. Where can my audience find you and, and what is everything you're doing for the free press and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Uh, certainly hope to do it again as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Omari Sankofa. That's O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. You can probably just look at the title of the pod if you want to know <laughs> how my name is spelled. Uh, you could um, also follow my work at the Detroit Free Press. That's freep.com, F-R-E-E-P. And of course, subscribe to the Pistons Post with me and my co-host, Bryce Simon. Uh, we're on wherever you listen to your podcast. So, Coach, where's everybody finding you, boss? Yeah, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I got a YouTube channel. I've dove into the 2023 NBA draft class already, started doing some of that stuff. Excited to talk to you about it, Nathan. So go check those out and subscribe at YouTube. And then again, listen to me and my guy, Omari. We had a fun episode that dropped on Tuesday morning, the Pistons Pulse. We dropped every Tuesday, um, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Nathan, had a blast again. We're going to have you over on the Pistons Pulse when we get into some draft talk. Yes, sir. And, and have you join us and return the favor as well. You know, every time I'm talking Pistons, you guys are coming back on the show. And certainly, Bryce, I will I will make sure you're also in the mix for a 2023 draft episode as well. We'll, we'll shop it up about some prospects no doubt. when the time is right. Just, just not now. Just, just not a now. little too <laughs> early. Too but, early. But thank you as well, everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, make sure you are wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper, and make sure you are subscribed to NoCeilingsNBA.com, our Substack. Make sure you are also subscribed and following us over on Twitter at NoCeilingsNBA. Make sure you're tuning into everything we're doing. We're, we're pumping out about two to three pieces in the offseason. We're all still doing podcasts. Trust me, the 23 draft is right around the corner. We're going to get it rolling probably sometime later October. I'm already starting my prep. I'll be starting some preview episodes of the 23 draft class around mid-September when I have my brand new co-host, Maxwell Baumbach, joining me on Draft Deeper. Steven Gillespie will be back as well. Don't worry, Steven will be back with us. He was doing some travel related to work, but all three of us will be doing some fun 23 draft preview. So I can't wait for those episodes to start. But until then, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.